Let's take a moment, build up the visualization, the refuge field, and ourselves surrounded by all sentient beings. And then we'll take refuge and think that we're leading all the other sentient beings in generating bodhicitta, even the people we don't like, especially the people we don't like. So let's cultivate our motivation. And although we all want happiness, we don't want suffering. Every single day, there's things that happen that we don't like. And our mind so often reacts to these things, whether they're big things or small things, So we react ranging from minor irritation to full-blown rage. And this happens every day. We're so often not aware of the small ones. But there are all, all these instances of some kind of anger derive from our attachment to different things. We want things to be a certain way. And we're quite attached to our ideas about how things should be. So when somebody doesn't like our ideas, when somebody acts in the opposite way, when it looks like we're not going to get what we want, we get angry. (laughs) So needless to say, anger makes us miserable. Nobody's happy when they're angry. It destroys our merit. It makes us do things that harm others and make the situation worse. And yet, despite all these disadvantages, we still keep getting angry. And when we do, we think, my anger is right, my anger is justified. So it's very important to be aware of anger. See how it's linked to attachment, be it attachment to praise or possessions or our ideas about how things should be. And then apply an antidote to that anger. 
So we want to cultivate bodhicitta as our motivation for living, for receiving teachings, for everything. And anger is the number one impediment. Because we really can't even begin to touch the self-centered thought before we clear away enough anger to admit that we're self-centered. But the more we're able to remember other beings' kindness to us, and make their kindness the thing about them that's dominant in our own mind when we think about them, then that is very good to help lessen the anger and to be able to switch the mind to an idea of caring and to bodhicitta. So take a moment and do that now and cultivate the aspiration for full awakening for the benefit of all beings. So one thing I find helpful uh, with some of the, well, not only with the small irritations and aggravations, but also the big things, is um, to look and see that what I'm irritated or upset about is something that only involves this life. And when our view is only on this life, then these things seem incredibly important. We have to do something immediately to stop them because our mind is completely focused on this one lifetime. When we broaden our mind to think of previous and future lives, then there's a lot more space. And like, okay, this is happening and we're all going to survive it. And if we don't survive it, our karma will help us get, make us be reborn in some other place. Yeah. But regardless of where we're reborn, we have to practice. And anger is not helping my practice. So it helps, you know, to think, this is just some problem of this life. Yeah. Like I said, when we only think of this life, the problem seems enormous. 
But then when you think of all of samsara and the fact that most sentient beings have no idea what's going on on planet Earth because we're like one tiny speck. I mean, do you know what's going on in all the other realms? All other people are experiencing. Yeah. So hardly anybody knows about this. And even on this planet, who else is upset about the things that we're upset about? Yeah. So why do I need to make this thing the focus of the universe? Yeah. When you really think about it, it's... Yeah, you really see how we waste a lot of time and energy. Okay, so we're going to continue with Shantideva. He's going to beat up our self-centeredness and our anger some more. Okay, so remember, he's beating up what is our enemy. He's not beating up us. Yeah, the anger is not who we are. It's not part of us. Okay, it's like the clouds in the sky, the adventitious defilements on the nature of the mind. Okay, so we're at verse 67. Well, let me start with 66. We did that last time, but it's good to remember this one. Since embodied creatures are injured by both animate beings and inanimate objects, why bear only bear malice to the animate? It follows that I should patiently accept all harm. And it's true. Why do we always want to blame some living being as if some living being intentionally did this? Yeah, deliberately to cause me harm. Uh, and, uh, you know, inanimate things cause us harm. They don't have any intention. And the uh, animate beings, you know, they're controlled by their afflictions. Yeah, and they can harm us because we created the karma. So we have some role in all of this happening, too. We're not innocent, you know, little bits of just goodness floating in the universe and these other beings harming us. Uh So then 67, should one person ignorantly do wrong and another ignorantly become angry with the wrongdoer, who would be at fault and who would be without fault? And so there, you know, there we are. Some, something would happen that harmed us. Then we get angry at them. And this is the meaning of do two wrongs make a right? You know, remember that, that one you heard so much when you were little and you get, said, yes, they do make a right because I'm right. You know, but then, yeah, you, when you look at it, it's, uh, yeah, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot. Okay. So it, you know, especially when doing work in society, anytime you're you're trying to benefit sentient beings, or in uh, you know doing activist work or 
you know, something that's trying to benefit, um, you're going to come up against problems and people blaming you, people hating you, whatever. Yeah. And it's so easy to then hate them back. Yeah. Here are these people who believe X, Y, and Z. They're so stupid. They're so irrational. And they're endangering everybody. And I hate them back. You know, because anyway, they hate me and they started it all. Yeah. We sound just like kids, don't we? Remember when you were a kid arguing with your siblings? Who started it? Yeah. You know, that's one, one of the questions your parents asked. And there's a few of you who are only child, only children. You don't have this privilege. But the rest of us who have siblings, okay, one of your questions your parents say is, who started it? And then you both point at each other. My brothers say, no, she started it. Okay. As if that made our anger uh, okay, because the other person started it. Yeah. And what this verse is saying is, no, that doesn't change anything one bit. It only makes us just as... um uh, confused and under the influence of afflictions as the other person. Because yeah, we got angry. They did something, we got angry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so back to social engagement. It's so easy when you're trying to do something like that, that people attack you and then you get upset and you attack back. Okay. And it's something to be very, very uh, careful of. You know. And this is what we see going on in the politics now. Um, it's kind of devolved in, into nobody, hardly anybody talking about policy and just exchanging insults. Okay. Really, it's just like kindergarten. Actually, less, you know, kindergartners are better sometimes. <laughs> you know, they make up and... Uh, you know, yeah, I remember when you were in kindergarten, your, your parents said, go make up and apologize, make up, and you did that, and then it was over. And But these are adults in positions of power who just keep doing it. Anyway, one situation that that I had in my life that really pointed out to me this thing of how when you're upset with somebody, it's so easy to... to start doing the exact same thing that they're doing in terms of hating and and so on. So this was during a Vietnam War protest at UCLA. And I I have this clear visualization, you know, down on the grass where we were. And the cops were, that's the polite name that we called them in those days. <laughs> we called them other names too. They were... Um, here, a line of them. And then the protesters were here and, um, you know, shouting things and stuff like that. And I remember the guy standing next to me picking up a brick or a stone and throwing it at the cops. And I just went, whoa, you know, that, that, no, if you do that, your mind becomes exactly like the mind 
of the person you are protesting against. You may be, you know, uh, each person standing up for different things, but the mind of anger and wanting to retaliate, that mind's the same, doesn't matter what side you're on. Yeah, and so then the work you do, you know, doesn't wind up being for the benefit, yeah, if your own mind devolves into anger and hatred and so on, yeah. So something very important to to keep in mind. We mm, some years ago we had a retreat for activists. You remember? So we talked about this then, yeah. But it it happens in many situations, not just these kinds of things. Okay. Then sixty eight. Why did I previously commit those actions because of which others now cause me harm? Okay, time of reckoning. (laughs) Yeah, why am I receiving harm? I did something to somebody else. Why did I commit those actions, which were clearly non-virtuous ones, that are resulting in my being harmed right now, why did I do that? Well, we can't remember exactly the specific karmic action that we did however many lifetimes ago, but we can certainly remember things we've done this lifetime, yeah, that have created negative karma, and that could be the karma ripening there or that would ripen in the future, and just ask ourselves that same question. Why Why did I do that? And when we look, you know, those of you who are doing Vajrasattva this winter, you will be doing a lot of looking about the past, okay, and thinking about things that come, that, uh, come in your mind and that you experience then. And that question of why did I do that is a very, very important question. Yeah. And don't just answer it quickly with, oh, I was self-centered and then go on to another thing. But look at it, you know, when you remember things. What was I thinking when I reacted that way? Yeah. What was I, uh, you know, one, one question that's very good is what was I really trying to say? Yeah, I was angry and I said something mean. What was I really trying to say to the other person at that moment? Yeah, I was angry and I accused somebody else of doing something. What was I really trying to say? In my heart, what was I trying to say at that time? Yeah, it's a very interesting question to sit with. Yeah, because so often when we sit with that question of what, in my heart, what was I trying to say? Sometimes we find, especially with family members, what we're, we were really trying to say is, I want to be close to you, and I don't feel close right now. Or, yeah, I want 
I want you to think well of me, not necessarily because we're attached to uh, reputation, but because we want to have a good relationship with that person. Now, sometimes we find it's uh, our reason is uh, you're destroying my reputation, in which case, you know, th- get rid of your reputation because that's the thing that's, that's causing the problem. But it's uh, very interesting, you know, what was I really trying to say? You know, sometimes it's, I'm tired, I'm stressed, yeah, I just need a little, I need some cooperation. But, uh, yeah, so you can sit with that. And then when you, you sometimes think about what was I really trying to say, um, the, the situation becomes much clearer. Yeah, because it isn't always, I mean, our anger comes out of hostility, but very often underneath it, that what we're wanting is to be friendly with the person or to have a good reputation, a good relationship. Okay, so very interesting to ask that, to find out. Or sometimes what we find, why am I angry? Um because I feel really scared, and I need to be right, and I need to have power in this situation. Sometimes we find that, yeah. And then, okay, if I'm scared, how can I calm myself if I'm scared? And then, you know, because the, the mind that's scared is proliferating, yeah. Remember Namtok? Our old friend Namtok, all these proliferations, yeah, make believe stories. Yeah. And then, oh yeah, it's just my mind doing some creative writing. Let's uh <laughs> stop it. Okay. So try that. See see if that helps sometimes really clarify in your own mind what it is that that you're needing or wanting or what you're really trying to say. Okay. So that was only the first two lines of that verse. (laughs) We should finish the verse. Why did I previously commit those actions because of which others now cause me harm? Since everything is related to my actions, why should I bear malice towards these, quote, quote, enemies? Yeah. In other words, they would not be harming me if I hadn't done other things to harm others. It doesn't mean that we harmed them in particular in a previous time, because if that were the case, then nobody could ever get out of samsara. Yeah. So it's not like when somebody harms us, we are fated to repay that, that harm. No. You know, we cut it when we practice Dharma and, and, and really stop the anger and, and restrain our physical and verbal actions. Yeah. We can cut that. But, you know, when we receive harm, you know, it's, we dished out probably something similar to what we're getting back. Yeah, and that's why I find 
um, The Wheel of Sharp Weapons, such an incredibly effective book to do meditation on and to think about karma and to understand our lives. Because you read that poem and it's like, oh, this happened to me. And then Dharma Rakshita tells us the kind of thing we did in a previous life or earlier this life that brought this on. Yeah. And then, yeah, okay, yeah, I did that. Um, you know, we have to admit at some point. But even if it's results that we haven't experienced this lifetime, or if it's speaking of actions that we haven't done this lifetime, again, it's very helpful to broaden our mind and remember that in previous lives we've been born as everything, we've done everything, uh, and we shouldn't, you know, as long as we have afflictions and we haven't attained the path of seeing of any vehicle, then how can, can we, you know, um, be complacent and arrogant and think we're better than anybody else? Because, you know, even in this life, you put us in a difficult situation and we may do things that Right now, if we think about, oh, I would never do that. But you get in that situation and the, you know, the afflictions get triggered and then we do absolutely amazing things that we never thought we were capable of. Yeah. So even, you know, when we're trying to understand these, if there's actions mentioned in the text, we didn't do them this life, think I've done those next life. And so, the seed the, the, uh, to habitually do that action again is in my mind. And so uh, I want to really focus on purifying that and making a very, very strong determination now never to do that again. Okay. So you'll notice in the 35 Buddha, uh, con- you know, the prayer that you do uh, after the prostrations, one section of it is all about revealing our negativities. And you may read that and say, oh, I haven't done all these things. Why am I doing it? Well, in a previous life, we've done it. Yeah. Same with the Uhula prayer, the prayer that you, uh, woe is me, that starts woe, and me, woe is me. You think, well, I'm confessing all these things. But I don't even have the Bodhisattva vow. Why am I ex- confessing, re- breaking them? <laughs> you know, I don't even have them. Well, previous lifetimes, perhaps we did. So anything that we're looking at somebody now and with a mind of like, ugh, yeah, to think we've done that. Like I just spoke of all these, you know, people with power acting like kindergartners insulting each other. Yeah. Well, have I never done that? Yeah. Yeah, I've done that sometimes as an adult, undoubtedly in kindergarten, and certainly in previous lives. You know, just spent a lot of time calling people names, belittling people, yeah, stirring up disharmony in society. No, I don't have that power, you know, to to do that now, but 
previous lives, yeah, we were all presidents and dictators and who knows what we were. So anything we see anybody else do that we disapprove of, then we should also focus on that when we do purification practices. Yeah. Because for sure in previous lives we've done it. Yeah. And it's very good to confess that and make a strong determination not to do that again. Because, like I said before, if we're ever in a situation, we could be triggered to do that. So to make that strong determination now, even though you never anticipate being in that situation this life, you don't know. Yeah? This is why I find reading people's life stories fascinating, you know? They come up against situations that that they never thought they would ever experience. And so if we don't have some sense of imagining ourselves in those situations and building up the mental fortitude and protection, yeah, then that kind of thing happens and, yeah, we explode. Okay. So, um, yeah. People doing Vajrasattva, remember this? You might want to mark down the day and, <laughs> and listen to this talk. When, you, when you're in the middle of the Vajrasattva retreat and you say, oh, okay, 111,111, I've done 74,915, and I'm bored. I purified everything I could possibly think of. Yeah. Then you listen to the talk again. Then, oh yeah, maybe there's some more things I need to consider. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've heard people say that in the middle of Vajrasattva. I have purified everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, then you must be a Buddha, really? That was quick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, uh, yeah, so since everything is related to my actions, why should I bear malice towards these enemies? So I had a discussion once with a, a Tibetan monk um, of when people harm us and we practice uh, fortitude with them, do we still consider them enemies? Okay? And I said, no, because, you know, if I really practice thinking that person is helping me to purify by putting me in this situation, yeah, and they're helping me, then they are no longer an enemy. If I'm really practicing and giving up my ego, you know, my self-centered ways, then they're no longer an enemy. And he said, but conventionally speaking, they are an enemy because they're trying to harm you. And I said, but I don't see them anymore as trying to harm me. And he said, but they're, you know, other people may see it that way. 
Anyway, you can think about it. Do you, do you still want to call them an enemy? Or do you want to, to call them, you know, a person who helped you along the path? Yeah, because when I look at some of the people, those people, I really sincerely now see them as helping me. And uh, knowing that some of the difficulties I've gone through, I had to go through to get to the point where I am right now. And if those people had not done those things to me and I had not had to grow up and develop inner resources, then I wouldn't be able to handle many of the things that now I can at least handle a little bit. Yeah, or at least be prepared knowing that they're going to come. Yeah, that <laughs> you had this problem with one person. Yeah, and then another person did the same, and another person. So it shouldn't be like, okay, I've handled three people uh, betraying trust. Now nobody's going to betray my trust again. Forget it. You know, they're going to betray your trust. Just be ready. That doesn't mean be suspicious. But, you know, just, yeah, be ready and, and don't have unrealistic expectations. Yeah. That everything is going to be hunky-dory. Because I finally found the perfect people and the perfect place and the perfect everything. And I just have to practice Dharma now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You ever do you ever find the perfect place to do your Dharma practice and the perfect people to do it with? No. No. Yeah. The chanting is always better on the other side of the meditation hall. Okay. I don't know where the grass is greener, but the chanting is definitely better. Sometimes it's not even on the other side of the meditation hall. It's in another meditation hall. Because <laughs> the chanting in your meditation hall is, mm. So, you know, and then I say, well, I can't practice Dharma in this situation. I have to go to where, you know, like the chanting is beautiful and it makes my mind soar and puts my mind in another state. Huh? And then you go there, and then what happens? The food's bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't eat the food. It's like yeah, they serve burnt stuff. They serve pickles for breakfast, and you can't stand pickles anytime, you know? <laughs> so then, okay, so the food's better somewhere else. Then you go somewhere else. Then what? Yeah. Hmm? Yeah, this schedule of oh, three o'clock in the morning, bathing in ice cold water, you know. Yeah, it's like, okay, I, I get the, the West is too plus. I'm going to a Japanese, you know, where they, where they do that. You wake up at three o'clock, you pour ice water on top of yourself, you sit immovable for I don't know how many hours. And it's like, okay, I'm going to go do that and, and get enlightened that way. That's going to be the perfect place. No study time. And then 
<laughs> That's right, there's no time to study there. Yeah, so I'm doing all this meditation and I have no idea how to meditate because I haven't studied and I need more study time. Okay, so then you go to a place that where they're studying so much. Okay, and then what's wrong there? No heart, no meditation. <laughs> yeah. Then you go somewhere else where, the, you know, you, you, well, you're not going to the place where you just had lots of meditation because that's too fresh in your mind. Then you go to a place where lots of heart, where 25, no, 25-7, everybody is processing their emotions. <laughs> And you just said this to me, and this is the way I feel, and I really need to talk about it and settle, settle it, you know, because this is interfering in my Dharma practice and my heart is hurting because you said good afternoon when it was good morning to me. That means you weren't looking at me. You don't acknowledge me, you know. Can, can we have a, a session, a group session about this and process it, you know? And then you have your, then you process it again. Then you process it again. Yeah, then, then where do you want to go? Yeah. <laughs> no, there you want, then you want to go to a place where you keep silence. <laughs> you know, nobody's processing their things. You want to go to a, um, what what's the Catholic one where they don't speak? Trap the trappist. No, not cloister. Cloisters, you don't go out. No, it's the trappist. I think where you don't speak. So I'm going to a trappist. They don't speak there. I don't have to process anything. Thank goodness, I'm so tired. Yeah. So then you're silent. Then what happens? Yeah, you eat fruitcake and drink wine because that's what they do there. Okay. Um, you no, know, you get lonely. Yeah, you get lonely. Your mind drives you crazy. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so this is the way the mind is, isn't it? Yeah. And when you're meditating, you say, oh, I should be studying. I should be, you know, doing something for society. So then you go study. And when you're studying, I should be meditating more and I should be serving society. When you serve society, oh, I should be studying. I should be meditating. Yeah. So... Yeah, so we spend lots of, you know, you go to do retreat, yeah? What do you spend your time contemplating in retreat? All the teachings you're going to go hear later, all the other teachers you want to study with, all the other meditation retreats you want to go on, right? 
Yeah. So you're doing Chenrezig retreat and you're dreaming about doing nature of mind retreat and you do nature of mind retreat and you dream about Lam Rim and you do Lam Rim and you want to do, I don't know, you know, Kundalini something. Like I'm tired of Buddhism. Let's do something else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is our mind, isn't it? So. Verse 69, yeah, this is going to tell us how to solve all these problems. When I have seen this to be so, you know, everything depending, coming back to our own actions. When I have seen this to be so, I should strive for what is meritorious in order to bring about loving thoughts between all. Okay, so what's an antidote that you can never go wrong with, okay, doing, creating merit, doing practices that create merit, and to develop loving thoughts for other living beings. Yeah? You can't go wrong with that. Yeah? When Jay Rinpoche was stuck in his meditation, yeah, and he, he didn't feel like he was getting anywhere in his meditation on emptiness, <clears throat> Manjushri, appeared to him and told him to go do retreat, uh, purifying, purification and creation of merit retreat. So he went to this uh, one place in, in a valley called Woka, which I was able to go to when I was in Tibet. And he did, you know, we do 100,000 prostrations. He did 100,000 prostrations to each of the 35 Buddhas, Okay. So three million, three and a half million prostrations. And you can see the stone that he did it on. He didn't do it on carpeting and blankets and a nice prostration board. He was on stone and the imprint of his body is on that stone. Okay. Then he, so that's mostly purification. You know, that practice goes more on the purification side, although you also create merit. And then he did mandala offerings, which is more on the creating merit side, but also purifies. And there's a stone there where he did, you know, so he doesn't have a nice, smooth, uh, you know, mandala plate, uh, you know, where you rub and, you know, you put oil on it so it's nice and smooth. And yeah. No, he was using stone and his arm got all, you know, roughed up here. And you can see on the stone, you know, they're, they're like self-appearing little flowers and, and different things, you know. And so he did that retreat for uh, quite a while. He took eight disciples with him and did that retreat. And then after that retreat, he, uh, he had a dream. And this is the story His Holiness tells. Um, he had a dream and... Nagarjuna was there with his main disciples, Aryadeva, Buddhapalita, uh, Bhava Viveka, and Chandakirti. Yeah, so the five of them were together. And uh, that, he told this story, you know. And Bab, was it Bhava Viveka? No, Buddhapalita, who was appearing a little bit dark in the dream, but he didn't know it was Buddhapalita. Anyway, 
So he had that dream. Then the next day, somebody came and offered him Buddha Palita's text called Buddha Palita. Yeah, he named the text after himself. Um, I guess that's what you can do when you don't have a self that you're grasping at. <laughs> yeah. So somebody handed him that text. And then when he was reading one of the chapters, I forget which one, you know, all of a sudden it was like emptiness became really clear to him, you know, and his doubts had disappeared and he knew what he had to do. Yeah. So that came about because he had done all the purification and creation of merit. Yeah. So it's probably not spacing out while he's doing his questions. Probably, yeah, yeah. I don't think he was thinking, oh, I wonder if all my benefactors back in town know that I'm out here in this valley with eight disciples purifying, and I hope they bring something to eat. Yeah, or I hope they, they know what a great and grandiose meditator I am meditating out here. Yeah. They say that that's the biggest trap for people who, who go out to do. Well, one of the biggest traps, I can think of some others too, um, is reputation. That attachment to reputation is much harder to abandon even than attachment to food and temperature and so on. So you're out in your cave, you know, with the, with the scorpions and, and the spirits and you're, still thinking about, I hope I have a good meditation back in town, and those people know how serious I am about Dharma practice, Medicate, meditating so diligently. Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? How we want, we want reputation, and yet, what good does reputation ever do us? You know, even you're a great yogi out there, even you have a fantastic uh, reputation in town, how does that help your meditation? It doesn't. If you have a bad med med reputation in town, does that harm your meditation? No. Then why are we so fixated on meditation? A reputation, sorry. Yeah. Doesn't help us, doesn't harm us. When we're thinking in a Dharma way. Yes, worldly, a bad meditation, a bad reputation can harm you. But if you're out, you know, doing serious Dharma practice, you, you know, if you're doing serious Dharma practice, you're not going to be thinking like that anyway. Yeah. What other people think of you is not important. Okay. So I shall strive for what is meritorious in order to certainly bring about loving thoughts between all. And, uh, you know, why having love and compassion is, is recommended here? It's so soothing to our mind. Yeah. When our mind is disturbed by attachment, clinging, grasping, wanting, needing, you know, or disturbed by anger, you know, cultivating love and compassion, just, it's like, you know, it's like some kind of soothing balm for the mind. Verse 70, for example, when a fire in one house 
has moved into another house. Oh no, let's not think about fire. Yeah. But yeah, think of the fire, you know, it's moved. There it is, it's burning in, uh, in Ananda and it's going to come over here. Okay. Um, or it has moved into another house. It is right to get rid of the straw and such things that will cause the fire to spread. So when there's danger of fire spreading or when it has spread, take away the fuel. Yeah, remove the fuel. Separate the fire and the fuel because without the, you can't stop the fire with your bare hands, but you can take the fuel away from it. Okay. So similarly, yeah, verse 71 says, likewise, when the fire of hatred spreads to whatever my mind is attached to, I should immediately get rid of it for fear of my merit being burned. Okay. So, when the fire of hatred spreads to whatever my mind is attached to. So attached to can kind of have two things there. It could be that we're attached to getting something uh, or reputation or something happening that we want. We're attached to that. We're not getting it. And so the fire of anger is due to not getting what we want. And sometimes we, we get ang- so angry that even if we do what, get what we want, our mind still is sunk into the anger so much that I want revenge. Okay. I want to cause harm back. So in that case, you're kind of quote, quote, attached to the Anger, you're attached to the situation that caused the anger, and you can't let it go. You know how it is sometimes somebody apologizes to you for something that you did? And, okay, you know it's a bodhisattva vow, you know, you don't want to break a bodhisattva vow, so you say, yes, I accept the apology. But actually, you don't. (laughs) Yeah? And you're still hanging on to what this person did to me before. And we can go through our whole lives, you know, because most of the time people aren't going to apologize, but we can go through our whole lives holding something against somebody who we think has wronged us in one way or another. Okay. So I think I've told you the story. My, my Vajrasapha retreat, yeah. So I figured out I was still mad at Mrs. Dukaman, my second grade teacher, because she wouldn't let me be in the class play. Can you imagine that? I was 20-something, and I'm still like, my second grade teacher didn't acknowledge my talent. No, I didn't. No, I wasn't very concerned about talent then. I just wanted to be in the play, and she wouldn't let me. It's not fair. Yeah. And you realize sometimes that you're holding grudges against things that you thought you had put down. Okay? And then you have to go back over and meditate on one of these antidotes to anger 
to really release it. Yeah. Okay. So when it says I should immediately get rid of it for fear of my merit being burned. Yeah. If we're attached to something and we're upset about somebody, you know, somebody took my Zen. I know they did it. Yeah. So I've lost a Zen. I recently lost a cap. I know somebody's hiding out with my Zen and my cap. They took it deliberately. Yeah. Even they didn't take it deliberately. It's still the fault of somebody who did the laundry. They must have lost it. Yeah. How is somebody doing the laundry going to lose my stuff? I don't know. But they, you know, they did it. Okay. So you, you're hanging on to that thing. So then, you know, if you realize your mind's still clutching to something, get rid of it. Yeah. Mentally, give your Zen away. Anyway, you don't have it. So you might as well mentally give it away. Give that cap away. Yeah. Yeah. I lost my old cap because somebody gave me a new cap. It happened on the same day. Yeah. Perfect timing. But, you know, so if it's, it's over some, some possession, mentally give that. Yeah. Or if it's over an outcome of some, something, you know, some decision, you know, the, the, uh, Second verse in the eighth verse of thought training about I shall give the victory to others. That very un-American verse. Yeah, if you're American, you never give the victory to others. Forget it. Okay, do you think is that true? Yeah, some people agree. Some people agree. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, some of us think that. Yeah. I mean, we're the land of the free and the home of the brave. Yeah. And we, we are always victorious even when we lose. <laughs> even when we do something stupid. I, okay. I'm going to stop talking about that. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. Um, but give the victory to others. Okay. We had some incredibly fantastic idea, you know, about we want to paint, you know, this is my idea. I'm ready for people to shoot it down. Um, the, the, the roof of the, um, Buddha hall. Uh, no, no, the roof, the roof, you know, so we're, we're putting, um, the, what do you call it? What? No, no, the Ganjiras are, they're gonna get painted gold. We're using gold card paint for them. Okay. But I think the, um, the, part of the roof? no, the, the rest of the roof, the material we have on this roof. Yeah. yeah. What? Oh, the what? Composite stuff. The composite. Yeah. Some kind of composite stuff, which is usually brown, isn't it? Well. I would love to find some composite stuff that was a beautiful kind of golden color so that the whole roof of the Buddha Hall were gold. Wouldn't that look beautiful? Not your, not. (laughs) Yeah, you think? 
and it's, and it's going to be cheap. It's not going to up the buses <laughs> by another 100,000K, okay? But wouldn't that be beautiful? You, you're standing here and you look and you not only see the Ganjira, but the whole roof is this beautiful kind of golden color, you know? So, and then people say, you're crazy. You can't find something like that. I'll say, Venerable Lobsang said he thinks he can. So you're on it, Venerable Lobsang. I'm counting on you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, But somebody's going, oh, no, you can't find that. It's going to be too expensive. It's going to look terrible. Yeah, right. Exactly. They'll say something like that. So they'll say, yeah, let's paint the whole rest of the roof black. Or we'll leave it, you know, we'll leave it dark brown like the composite things are. Yeah. What? Blue. Oh, yes. Can't we have something that's not maroon once in a while? <laughs> yeah, but just, um, yeah, so give the victory to others. Yeah, you think that's going to look good? It's fine. Okay, so Venerable Semke, I admit that that color that they painted inside the meditation hall is peach. Whoa. Whoa. 16 years later. Okay. I what? 17 years later. It's it's peach. I'm not getting to the point where I can say that it's good to water the plants in at noontime in the summer. I'm not there yet where I'm going to agree with you with that. Okay, but uh, yeah, the, the the walls are peach. Okay, you you go check out and see what you think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, they can look at that. <laughs> yeah, they're pink. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, so anyway, I mean, look at the purpose of this verse. We're being silly, but you got sometimes you have to start with the silly stuff to get to the serious stuff. Okay? And you know, get give up whatever it is that's making us cling on to bitter feelings. Yeah, because if we don't go give it up, we're going to grow old being bitter. And who wants to be a bitter old person? Yeah, if you've ever met some bitter old people, yeah, it's it's sad. It's really sad, you know. And it's like there's one person I knew, very bitter and. It was like, he taught me something very important. Yeah, I would try and brighten his day. Maybe I did, I don't know. But, um, 
yeah, he taught me something very important. Don't hang on to bitter feelings or anger because it, it, it becomes bitterness. And then it just weighs your whole heart down. Yeah. Actually, I've met more than that one person who <laughs> are bitter. It's very sad. Okay. Um, yeah. So whatever it is that your mind's still hanging on to in some way or another, just give it up. Yeah. Those little triangles. They're not okay. They're not pink. They're peach. Great. I hope you're happy. <laughs> Are you deriving some pleasure that I finally succumbed? I think it would just be splendid, you know? Okay. And verse 72. Uh, why is a person condemned to death not fortunate if they are released after having a hand cut off? Why am I, who am experiencing human misery, not fortunate if by that I am spared the, by, from the agonies of hell? Okay, so if somebody is condemned to death and instead their hand is cut off, they would probably be very grateful. Yeah. So if we've created the karma to be born in hellish realms and instead we experience some pain or misery as a human being, wouldn't we be happy to have that karma burnt up in that way as just some kind of pain that we can imagine, that we can handle in this life instead of something really terrible in the hell realms? So that also is uh, a really good thing. I mean, here, this whole chapter is, is antidotes. Yeah. So what I would recommend is go through and make a list of the various antidotes, read the verses. And sometimes there's one verse on one antidote. Sometimes there's a whole section on verses really unpacking an antidote and make a list of, of those antidotes and keep them in your mind. Um, because it's, it's very, very helpful. So this one, you know, if you're in pain or something's happening, then, okay, it, it's better than the hell realm, isn't it? So why is a person condemned to death, not fortunate, if they are released after having a hand cut off, a lot out of prison? Why am I, whom experiencing human misery, not fortunate, if by that I am spared from the agonies of hell. 73, this is a good one too. If I am unable to endure even the mere suffering of the present, then why do I not restrain myself from being angry, which will be the cause, which will be the source of hellish misery? So I can't stand a mosquito biting me. I can't stand just even a glance of somebody disapproving of me. I can't stand, you know, one night of not having enough sleep. 
you know, all these things that, you know, small things that just knock us and we're, we get really upset about. Um, yeah. So if we can't endure that, how are we going to endure, uh, the hell realms that are created by our negative actions, specifically the actions of anger and hatred and revenge? How are we going to endure that? Yeah. So this is also a good question to ask ourselves. Now, if I can't endure this, how am I going to endure something worse? Yeah. Rather, I should endure this and learn how to endure pain, and then I'll be better prepared, you know, for whatever comes in samsara, who knows what. Yeah. And especially, you know, if we're going to be bodhisattvas, we think, oh, when you're a bodhisattva, okay, so here I'm talking about high-level bodhisattvas. When you're a bodhisattva, you know, well, no, not even them. Okay, just let's just leave it bodhisattva. When you're a bodhisattva, everybody loves you because you're so kind. You're always trying to benefit them. Nobody ever criticizes you. Everybody loves you. Yeah, so I want to be a bodhisattva because then finally I'll get all the love and approval and appreciation that I've ever wanted. Do you think people don't criticize bodhisattvas? Yeah, they criticize. When you're a bodhisattva, you sometimes have to do what other people don't like. And they will criticize you for it. Why do you do that? Because you know in the long run it's the best thing for them. But they're going to criticize you. And they're going to hate you. Yeah? So if we can't endure some small thing now, he's saying how are we going to endure the hell realms that are created by our negative actions of being angry? But also, if we can't endure some small thing now and we're angry and upset about it, how are we ever going to become a bodhisattva? Yeah, being a bodhisattva doesn't mean you get everything you, that you want because you finally reach the, the ground of being Susie Cream Cheese. Okay, Susie Cream, you know Susie Cream Cheese. Susie Cream Cheese is goody, she's the sister of Goody Two Shoes. Yeah. You remember Goody Two-Shoes? Yeah. Yeah. Their brother is Brown Nose. <laughs> okay. So, um, somebody will explain to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but, yeah. So, we, we think, <laughs> you know, we're finally going to be appreciated. But people criticize bodhisattvas. Amazing. I mean, I look at some, sometimes the way people treat my teachers and I'm just aghast at, at how sometimes people treat, you know, my teachers and how sometimes they treat their own teachers. You know, you think, how could anybody ever do that? Yeah. But it happens, and what's to say, if I'm not in a bad mood, I don't do the same. 
Yeah. I mean, uh, an extreme example is the Cultural Revolution in China. Yeah. Where people were encouraged to turn against their parents and turn their parents into the communists, you know, to turn against their teachers. So you had disciples criticizing their own spiritual mentors. Yeah. So you, you think, okay, you know, bodhisattvas are going to get trashed in that too. So they're going to have to be strong. Yeah. So, so this, this is why I like calling it fortitude rather than patience. Because in those kind of situations, what we need is fortitude. We need inner strength. We don't just need to be patient and wait for somebody else. Okay. Then 74. For the sake of satisfying my desires, I have suffered numerous burnings in hell. But by these actions, I neither fulfilled the purpose of myself nor others. Isn't that true? We've expressed our anger to other people. We've held grudges. We've murdered people in previous lives. We've caused social disharmony in countries. We've done horrible things in previous life. Okay, to satisfy our own desires for fame or wealth or whatever. Okay, so we've been, we've done the same thing that we see some people doing now that we don't think is proper. We've done that. Okay, for the sake of satisfying my desires, then I've been born in the hellish realms numerous times. Yeah. Because of my greed to satisfy my desires, my anger and hatred of not getting what I want, my jealousy of people who got what I wanted when I thought I should get it, you know. But by those actions that I did to, you know, motivated by greed or anger or jealousy, I neither fulfilled the purpose of myself nor of others. Okay, the purpose of ourself is obtaining the Buddha's Dharmakaya. Yeah, the nature truth body and the wisdom truth body. The purpose of others is attaining the two form bodies, the the, uh, enjoyment body and the uh, emanation body. Yeah. So we've neither, we're not Buddhists yet. We haven't fulfilled the purpose of ourself and or others. We haven't even fulfilled our worldly purposes. Okay. And yet, for the sake of fulfilling all those things, what have I endured in samsara? And what hell have I uh, created for other people through my, my actions? Yeah, so asking us really, you know, to to ask ourselves these kinds of questions, um, and then use that as a reason to uh, get the uh, the straw and the hay out of the building, so that it cannot catch fire. You know, give up whatever it is that we're clinging to. Mm-hmm.
Okay, so there's a few minutes for questions and comments. What if reputation being poor affects one's capacity to do good for others, like teaching effectively? Yeah, that's why there is a bodhisattva uh, precept that says if people are upset with you and ruining your reputation, you need to step in and explain yourself and try and uh, appease their anger and restore, uh, you know, help people to know who you really are instead of, you know, somebody's telling lies behind your back. Okay. But you do that without attachment to your reputation. You do that because, uh, like the person asked, you need a good reputation so that people will let you help them. You know, if you don't have a good reputation, then it's very difficult to be a benefit to others. So you're not doing it with attachment to reputation. Is there a reference to learn more about the purpose of self and purpose of others in the way you just mentioned? Uh, yeah, it comes up in the teachings a lot. Uh, when you s study about um, the collection of merit and the collection of wisdom, yeah, and how the, these match up with the purpose of self and the purpose of others. And, um, yeah, so it com comes in, the, in very often in that context, or it, c it can come in the context of talking about the qualities of the three jewels, because there you'll go into depth in, in learning what, you know, what are the qu four, qu what are the qualities of the, the uh, Dharmakaya and the Rupakaya and their, their subdivisions. Okay, so um, you mentioned a really good thing to do to think about what are you really trying to say mm -hmm. rather than what came out. And um, my difficulty here is I feel I don't have the wisdom in a certain relationship to listen to what the person's saying um, I actually know the person wants to connect, but the way they want to connect is so, it's by slandering other people. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about other stuff now. Yeah. People who have been, people who have been, um, the exact example is someone who has been abused, but mm -hmm. for maybe 20 years, they're saying the same story about it. You know, like I've heard certain things. You from, mean blaming the per, blaming yes. the victim? Yeah, blaming, blaming, speaking in a way that never moves over years and years and years. You know, I know they want to connect with me, but I actually have decided that this way of speaking isn't really helping anyone. No. So, you know, I'm kind of, I can't change the other side. I can change my side and work on my equanimity, mm -hmm. you know, but I don't have, I don't really have the wisdom to figure out what to, how to get to the place. I, I do know I can come back and say, I know you want to connect and I can't connect this way. I have to do it from my side, I guess. Yeah. Or how about if you connect over something else? There's many different ways to connect with people. And if one way of connecting doesn't work, find something that both of you are interested in and connect over that, discuss that, go to do that together. Yeah, and every time the person starts bad-mouthing somebody else, you change the subject to something. Yeah. Yeah. 
So there are many ways to connect to people. We, you know, there could be somebody that we really don't like, but we can connect to them over a, a topic of mutual interest. Yeah. And when we can do that, that's very, very liberating. Yeah. Cause then we know, yeah, we can connect with everybody and, and have good feelings about everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you're, you're with children, you know, you're not going to discuss some adult subject that you can understand. You're going to go play a game with them. Yeah. And then the kid, you connect to the kids by playing that game. I think after many, many years of trying to work out the, you did a little bit of a impersonation of, of processing and processing and processing. Uh, verse 57, <laughs> when one person do, does harm out of confusion, another one does harm and gets angry, who's at fault? Sometimes that's where I want to go. They're afflicted, I'm afflicted. Let's just take care of our minds and then come back around and just admit that to each other. Mm-hmm. I find that after years of being in community, after a while, I don't have the bandwidth anymore to go through the the level of recircling around <laughs> something that hurt both of us or one of us, you know? Yeah. So I try to use this one when it's not something really, really big. I've just, I'm just grumpy that day and they're you know, something else. I just want to say, oh, can we just agree that both of us are afflicted right now? Let's just take care of our minds and then maybe come back and mm-hmm. draw the conclusion and say, this is what I found out, what I what I needed, what I was trying to say. Yeah. You know, but I found out that my bandwidth for a lot of it just isn't there anymore like it used to be. Which, and, well, oh, to, oh, to process it all. Nonviolent communication helps a lot, yeah. you know, but it's it's the, the way we used to do things was a lot like that. Yeah. Well, sometimes, I mean, yeah, NVC and the way we used to do things, every small detail of, wow, somebody said and this and that, and five years ago you said this, and then it came up now, and this, and oh, ah, ah, oh, ma. Yeah, at a certain point, you, I mean, you go nuts. And the some people go nuts, and other people want more of it because that's how they connect with people. Um and if you don't have the the energy or the you know for that, um, then again you find then if it's still bothering you, then what then I think what is very helpful is to say this is just a thing of this life. You know I don't. This is just how it turned out. This life. This person I know is a kind person. And, uh, you know, and I want to connect with them and I can connect with them. We can, you know, uh, go plant, I don't know, plant the garden together. We can do something together. We don't always have to process everything and every word and every look. And we'll find some other way to connect. And I won't let this weigh down on my mind because it's just a thing of this life. It doesn't last very long. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a thing that our own mind is our own mind's holding on to something. Yeah. Like yeah, and it's just okay, we just have different ways of being. They they want to process for the next three countless gradients 
and, and I want to go swimming for the next, and they think I'm crazy, and they, they, and I think, you know, it's like, okay, different people, what is this, different strokes for different folks, yeah, and they have their way, and I have my way, and I don't need to consider them bad, or wrong, or, you know, unfriendly or whatever it is. That's just how they like to do things. It's not a thing that I like to do. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you can, you can, I had somebody once tell me, you know, I was describing something that was bothering me. And, and this person said, I don't really want to hear uh, about the problems of monks and nuns. Right in the middle of me telling them oh, my story. And and she said that, and I just shut up. <laughs> you know, I mean, she said, I don't want to hear your problem. I only hear the problems amongst them. Okay. Yeah. So that's okay. She doesn't want to hear it. Yeah. It'd probably be good for me not to bellyache to too many people anyway. Probably to my benefit that she told me to be quiet, essentially. Yeah. But that's her way, and, and I can actually understand it. Yeah. So some, sometimes, you know, yeah, people just say frankly how they feel, and, and we just are different, and that's it. Oh, now you want to hear the story and who it was. Oh, yes. Yeah, I know you. You want to know all the gritty details because it's somebody that you know, actually. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, these, some of these things that our mind gets latched onto are so small and insignificant. Yeah. And that, that's why I sometimes ask myself, one year from now, you know, if somebody tells me, you know, okay, so every day we have something to complain about, right? Yeah, at least one, two, ten, a thousand things to complain about. Then I say, okay, December 2nd, 20, 2022, will I remember what I am unhappy about today? Okay, well, how about... December 2nd, 2020, last year on this date. Do you remember what you were upset about on that day? You do? My mother just died. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Are you sure you were still upset that day? You didn't, you were upset 24 7? Yeah. But, you know, to think about that, how much do I, yeah, and do I want to hold on to that, even if you can remember? Yeah, it's painful, your mom dies. But we want to get over that, too, don't we? I mean, all of us are going to face that, right? If your mother hasn't already died, she's going to die. So be prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Shantideva is also called, uh, I think, Busudo, the one who 
Shantideva's corpus sudo, the one who sleeps, poo, su, do, uh, eats and um, goes to the bathroom. Yeah. And it's kind of sometimes seen as um, the one who's able to rest his body, speech, and mind. And um, I was, for long, for many years, I'm struggling with that. Um, how to rest, really? You know, how to rest from those trouble, some thoughts, from emotional turmoil. Yes, yes. And I wanted to share that, that Chantideva, he appeared mm -hmm. as somebody who was so lazy, yes. <laughs> but the techniques are the ones that bring us to yes. fast bodies. He is and telling us about what he yes. did in this yes. book. There I just wanted to emphasize that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's not telling us something else, uh, you know, he's telling us what he did. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not spending my time telling you nice, sweet stories about things, but what you're really supposed to practice is something else. Okay? So th this is, you want a solution to your life problems, read this book, memorize it, memor meditate on it, apply it to everything that happens in your life, and you will be more than okay. Yeah, but if you're looking for something else besides this that is better, you know, it's with the chanting in the other meditation hall. <laughs> yeah, so go look and see what you find. Yeah? <laughs> okay, we better stop now. <laughs> yeah, so talk about attachment to reputation. Yeah, that's what people called Shantideva. He was the guy who ate, slept, and go, went to the toilet. And he wasn't good for anything more than that. Yeah. He had a horrible reputation in the monastery. And they wanted to kick him out, so they had to think of a way to kick him out. Remind me, and I'll tell you how they did it next, next week. You can think of how you can kick somebody out at the monastery who you don't like. <laughs> and maybe that's what the monks did to Shantideva. <laughs> they were very creative in how they did it.